Do you have team members asking you the same questions over and over again, and you wish there was one place they could go to find all the information they need so they can do their work and be productive? Well, there is. Sweet Process is a software that enables companies to have a central place for all their procedures, processes, and policies. This makes it easy for management, managers, and their ground-level employees to collaborate together in the creation of those processes, and it also makes it easy to continuously improve these documents together. Sweet Process becomes the one source of truth, the one place where every employee, regardless of their role, can go to find information on how work is done. If you'd like to streamline the productivity of your company, start by going to sweetprocess.com slash one. While Sweet Process normally offers a 14-day free trial, as a listener of the One Thing podcast, when you go to this URL, you will get an extended 28-day free trial and no credit card is required. Simply visit sweetprocess.com slash O-N-E to get started. This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. Think back to your childhood. What did you want to be when you grew up? What were the dreams that you had for yourself? What do you envision your life looking like? And along your journey, did you ever find yourself hitting up against ceilings of achievement or realizing that maybe you were thinking too small? Today is the story of a man who, growing up, he had a a dream to one day be a manager for a local grocery store. And along the way, because of having the right mentorship and learning the right leadership skills, which fast forward to today, he finds himself as an officer of a Fortune 50 company as the vice president of HR for FedEx services. Gary Keller says that anytime you're hitting up against the ceiling of achievement in your life, you're, you're missing a person or a system. And today you are gonna hear exactly why that is true. How having the right people in our lives, having the right systems to help us do what we do as efficiently and as effectively, allow us to achieve more than maybe we thought is possible. The person you're going to meet today is the author of the brand new book called C4 Leadership, as in the letter C, the number four in leadership, which you can pick up on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. He has a tremendous amount of value to share. And if you find yourself liking what you hear in this episode, please consider picking up a copy because it would be the highest way that you can support him. With that, let's get into this interview with Chris Winton. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Bring us back to childhood, Chris. Yeah. 
Tell me about uh, it. Yeah, childhood Chris. Chris, growing up, played football. Uh, and, you know, I was pretty good as a kid. I, you know, Little League, I, I always say I'm in the Little League Hall of Fame if there is one. Uh, <laughs> the, the problem was when I got to high school, I stopped growing and everybody else kept going. So I stand about five, five, a hundred and nothing pounds. <laughs> and so when everybody stopped, start kept growing and I stopped, my dad said, son, time to hang it up. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, I guess I better shift gears. Uh, so, you know, normal life growing up until I got to high school. Uh, and in high school, you know, as a kid, your parents don't really tell you everything that's going on, but you start to notice subtle changes. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that we were starting to struggle financially. And it was the little things. There were not as many Christmas gifts under the tree, or it was hot dogs four days a week for dinner. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And suddenly my dad got a second job, then my mom got a second job, and then my dad got a third job. And my brother and I are going, okay, something's not right. So in high school, my bro- we both made a decision. We were we didn't want to see our mom work two jobs. Now, dad, you just got to do what you got to do. Uh, but we, we, we didn't like seeing mom work two jobs. So we started to work. So when I was 14, I was the kid in high school selling candy out of a bag and then cutting grass at, uh, after school. Uh, and then I started working in a grocery store. And my goal and what I saw for myself was being a store manager of Kroger Grocery. Uh, That was my goal. I know there was a defining moment for you when you were working at the grocery store. Tell us about it. Yeah, I had... So I was one of those kids just hardworking uh, because I I gave up on being the A student. I became a C student because I said, you know what, I'm going to just work hard and I'll make a good enough grades to pass. So I would work extra hours, get there early, stay late, and so I was promoted to customer service. So that was where you go in. And back then, people would cash their checks at the grocery store. So I was the kid behind the counter cashing your check at the grocery store. Well, one night we were closing and we got robbed. And at the time, I was about 17. My manager saw what was happening and he bolted out the back door. I don't hold it against him. He was 20. So we, but not much older than me. But by the time I looked up and saw what's happening, there was a gun in my face. And so unloaded the safe. Uh, the robber ran away. Uh, but that was a pretty traumatic event, uh, being 17 years old in high school when it happened. And so, but fortunately, I was safe. Well, three months later, we were robbed again. And I was at school and they robbed during the morning. And in that case, my manager was killed. And so the owner of the store was also shot and one of the robbers was killed in the shootout at the store. Uh, What was really a defining moment about that time was that same night I was scheduled to work. And of course, traumatic. I'm saying to myself, well, I'm, I'm not working there anymore. Like I was robbed and fortunately survived. We were robbed again. And now it's a shootout. I'm not going back in that store. Well, my dad that night said, son, you're going to work. 
And I'm like, what? No. And he said, call and see if the store is open. And they actually were going to be open that night. He said, then you're going to work. And that night I went to work in that customer service, still cashing checks, standing on a blood soaked carpet. That taught me quite a bit. Number one, pressing through any barrier. And I later asked my dad, why was he so adamant that I go to work that night? And he said, son, life's going to hit you. Going to hit you square in the nose. The only question is, is, can you get back up? And I won't let you lay down. So <laughs> that, that was childhood. You go from aspiring to be the store manager mm-hmm. to having that event and realizing, okay, um, something's off here. What changed? I mean, I look at where you're sitting now and <laughs> something had to change. There was a moment. I was uh, in high school my senior year. I had a work permit to leave early because all of the teachers and the guidance counselors knew Chris works. And so I would leave early every day. But on this one day, the guidance counselor stopped me in the hallway as I was about to head out the door. She said, before you leave, I want you to listen to a presentation. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm running late for work. She said, it'll only be a few minutes. So I walk in and it was a nonprofit by the name of En-ROADS, whose mission was on the board. And it said to develop and place talented minorities and prepare them for corporate leadership. So I said, okay. Then they went to the next screen and said, minimum 3.0 GPA. I got up and I walked out (laughs) because I said, well, clearly it's not for me. I don't meet your minimums. And I'm fine with that because I got to be at work anyway. Well, the representative from En-ROADS walked out in the hallway and said, hey, can I talk to you? And that was the first time anyone ever asked why I didn't have a 3.0 GPA. And when I explained that I was working to help pay bills because I didn't want my mom working two jobs, he said, I'll give you a shot and we'll make an exception. And so I said, well, wait a minute. How do I enter this program? Who's going to pay for it? Because I can't afford it. He said, well, we have companies that will sponsor you. And all you have to do is intern with them. And my sponsoring company was FedEx. And that's how I started FedEx as an intern in IT in 1997. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, man, everything. And and, and fascinating today, I'm over the internship program for FedEx. Rarely. That's when you know someone upstairs is winking at you, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So bring us, take us to your, take us to your intern days. You start interning. I mean, it's one, I know most internships end and it's like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to go do this other thing, but you stayed. Oh, yeah. So, and this is where I think the importance of mentorship comes in. So, that individual that stopped me in the hallway became my first mentor mm. within Rhodes. And so I walk in, and the first thing he, he requires me to do is set a goal. He said, You got to set a goal. I'm 18 years old, uh, full of all of the cockiness and arrogance of an 18-year-old that's ready to take on the world. He said, well, what's your goal? I said, my goal is to be the CEO. He said, CEO, I see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, let me spell it out. CEO. The truth is, Jeff, I didn't even know what a CEO was at 18. I just saw it on TV. I was like, that sounds like a big title. 
<laughs> and he said, okay, well, first thing I want you to do is turn around and look at a picture on the wall. And the picture on the wall was a muscular arm hanging down from a cliff and a hand reaching up. He said, what do you see? I said, well, I get it. Well, at every level you go up, you're supposed to reach down and pull somebody up. I said, no, you missed it. And I go, well, wait a minute. I was a C student in high school, but I could see there's a hand reaching down from the cliff and a hand reaching up. He says, son, if you ever want to be a leader, you first got to remember that servant leadership is about being both hands at all times. One hand's always got to be reaching up, seeking guidance, seeking new wisdom, seeking new insight. And one hand has to be reaching down to give wisdom, to give insight, to pull somebody else up. But the reason why that becomes key is because it exposes your core. And most people are afraid to expose the core. Mm. I was, that was the conversation my first mentor at 18 years old. You, I'm walking out here just like, wow, what the world? So that began the journey. Tell me about a time when that guidance came to life when you realized, mm. ah, this is one of those moments where that is true. You know what? I will tell you the first time it came to life when I failed and realized not operating that way was a career limiting factor. And so I started as an intern. I set a goal to become a manager in IT. And so about 25, 26 years old, I start applying for jobs as manager in IT. Apply for the first job, don't get it. I get that infamous Dear John letter. You know, you know that letter that you know you think it's just for you and it says, Thank you for applying. You know, your application looks great, but we're considering other candidates. That one. So apply it the second time, second Dear John letter. Third time, third Dear John letter. So then I start going, wait a minute. Is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm young? You know, this good old boy system, because the problem could be me. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> My mom always said I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I, you want to know how great I am? Let me tell you. <laughs> so, and then the fifth one, and I get another Dear John letter. And then now the second mentor, and that, that was at FedEx, shows up in my life. And I go, Man, what's the deal? I got a master's degree now. I got all this experience. My performance reviews look good. I can't even get an interview. And he said, you ever thought that it, the problem is you? Like he said, remember that picture you told me about? You got both of your hands reaching up because it's all about you. When are you going to put one hand down and start helping somebody else? Because that's what it means to lead people. Your accomplishments mean nothing. Who have you helped accomplish something? And so hitting that ceiling mm. of five denials is when it came real for me that I got to look at this a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At what point in your career did you actually start to realize that you were thinking too small? Mm. You know, that's a good one because it's been at different points. Because I'm even feeling it now, believe it or not. A couple, there are a couple of I love that. I I tell, love that. tell people. Number one, a, a career is like a GPS. 
the journey doesn't start until you set the destination. Most people fail because they haven't decided where to succeed. And then most people succeed at a small at a low goal just because they didn't set the bar high enough for themselves because they couldn't see bigger. At different phases of my life, I've been all three. And I'm I'm actually in a stage now where I'm going, am I dreaming big enough? Mm. And so I, I think that's why it is one hand always reaching up, no matter what level, even as an officer in a Fortune 50 company. Am I still thinking small? You got to continue reaching for new insight. Yeah. I mean, you've been in leadership for how many years now? Oh, wow. So I became a manager at 27, a director in the company in IT at 32, and vice president at 39. I'll be 43 next week. So 16 years, roughly. Yeah. Take a moment and think of those 16 years. What are those lessons that just stand out to you? Mm. That if somebody didn't know, they're going to hit up against ceilings they just don't need to be hitting up against. Excellent question. And this was the reason I actually wrote the book. Uh, Because I started mentoring and coaching. That became just part of my standard DNA as a leader. And I started realizing many people were struggling with the same problems. And it was in the thinking. And we know thinking drives behavior and behavior ultimately your results. And whenever I hit that ceiling in my career, when I unpacked it all, it was something in my thinking that was causing me to behave a certain way. So I've been really pushing, and that's why I wrote the book, to try and shift the thinking. And so when you see that title, C4 Leadership, and even the image of the book cover, it's the shattering of the glass. It's like that glass is now shattering. And the framework I've noticed to be repeatable now is these four C's. Walk us through that. Uh, well, the first one is, is one, being clear about your goal. Hmm. Uh, and I tell people, don't even start the first C until you know where you're going. Career is like a GPS. The journey doesn't start until you set a destination. And so I always encourage people, be specific about the destination. Because uh, I always tell my wife and I, we have the same debate every day at five o'clock. And Jeff, you've probably heard me talk about this. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> every day, five o'clock, same debate. Does your wife say what my wife says, which is stop oh. asking me that? <laughs> what are you <laughs> making for dinner? <laughs> what are you <laughs> it, it usually goes like this. Okay, dear, what would you like to eat? Oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever you like. And then I go, well, how about Mexican? Ooh, I don't want Mexican. <laughs> then what do you want? Oh, it doesn't matter. You pick something. And then I pick something else. Ooh, I don't want that. I had that for lunch. (laughs) Like, seriously. So one day I'm driving around and literally we are having this debate as I'm driving, don't know where I'm going. And I get frustrated and pull over the car. (laughs) Like, pick a restaurant. It doesn't matter. And I I always say people drive around in their careers the same way. Mm. Just debating back and forth. Where should I go? And then wonder why you're frustrated. Well, it's frustrating driving a car when you don't know where you're going. (laughs) So pull over, stop, and set the goal. Now, when you have the goal, this is why I love the one thing so much. Because the question is, is where do you focus? 
you know, where, how do you line the dominoes up? And what is that one thing that you can focus on that makes everything else easier? And it's that first C. It's consuming the right information. It, it, it is the consuming the right. The information's everywhere. It's coming at you. Social media, news. I mean, you, you your, your friends, your family, everybody's got information. You got to choose what you consume. And that's why I, I love the one thing. because it, it helps laser in, helps focus. I got to be intentional about what I consume today. I, I had an interesting experience going into this year. I've always been an infinite learner. I'm, I can't remember the last time I've listened to the radio. I'm always listening to a podcast or an audiobook. And the only substitution of that is if I'm working out and I've got my fist pumping music on for when I jump rope. That's it. Right? Love it. Love or, it. Or, or if we're dancing to Michael Jackson. <laughs> we got to do that together, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, this year, coming to this year, Jay challenged me and he said, Hey, what are the key areas of your life that you really feel you need to develop this year? How do you plan to develop as a leader? Um, he gave me some very constructive, direct feedback about another area that he thought I was hitting a ceiling that uh, he advised I, I invest in my education. There were a few other areas. But it was interesting if I'm going, all right, not all information matters equally. If, I, if I'm in a set of goal to read for this year, it's 24 books. How am I going to divide them up? And if I'm going to read books on becoming a better husband, what are those books going to be? If I'm going to read a book on becoming a better leader, what are those books going to be? Knowing that there's only a few coveted spots. And then when all the new... Hey, have you read this book? Have you listened to this podcast? All of a sudden, I'm holding it up against a clear plan that said, no, these are the 20% things that are going to drive the majority of my growth this year professionally and personally. Is this more important? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Exactly. You got to be intentional. Information is coming at you all day, every day. You got to say, you got to know what to say no to so that you're saying right to the right things. And this is why I say thinking drives behavior. If your belief system is, well, it's not what you know, it's who you know, then you spend more time trying to hope you meet the right person versus stopping and consuming the right information. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people that's false thinking. The belief that it's not what you know, false thinking. Shift it and say, who knows what I know? Mm. And that's what takes you now to the next C. That C2. It's about now connecting with the right people. Because once you now have the right information, you want to go share that. That's the hand reaching down to go, who do I need to connect with? that this information can be valuable to them and can help them and can help solve a problem. You shared a story with me. Uh, I don't remember if it was when you became a director or a VP, but you shared that your one thing at that time became sitting down for lunch with specific people Mm -hmm. to connect and form the relationship. Take us there. Yeah. Once it became an aha for me and I realized, okay, I'm now struggling. I'm hitting this glass ceiling again. And at first I was meeting with everybody. You know, somebody said, oh, you need to know this person. I was like, oh, let me get on their calendar. You need to know this person. And that's when you go to all those networking events and you hand out, you know, a hundred cards and nobody calls you back. That's what I was doing. And then I was like, wait a minute, this, 
too much time's being wasted. So then I started becoming intentional about, well, what is the goal? And what do I have to offer them? And that was when I started saying, well, wait a minute. These are the three people that understand the problems they're facing. And I think I can help. And I'm going to just meet with them to help. And what, what became fascinating was the more I did that, the more I, it almost became a community mm-hmm. around me. And I mean, Jeff, you've seen it just walk in the halls. I mean, now I can't even walk the halls. There's an army of people that will give their, their right arm, but it's only because I gave, I gave them mine years ago. And that's when it started to now become, I'm leading without a title. Because these were people that didn't work for me, but will walk through a wall for me. I just remember it when you, when you shared it, it was so clear that in order for you to get to that next level, having the right relationships was going to matter up the chain and down the chain. And one thing you could do was just to have a regular rhythm for sitting down with somebody, not with any ask in mind, but just genuinely to help and to serve. Yep, that's it. With, I mean, with a genuine heart. I mean, when I first started out, that mentor, when I was trying to get to manager and I, I actually walked in his office and told him I wanted his job. Don't, don't judge me. That was the 22-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> I chewed my butt out. <laughs> Look, that was, I always say that was back when uh, a director could just cuss out an employee. You know, HR got a problem with that now. You can't just do that. But yeah, he tore me a new one. Like, who do you think you are, you little kid? But he agreed to meet with me. And we literally met every month for 10 years. And we, But we didn't just talk about how to be a leader within FedEx. We talked about everything from life to getting married, to having kids. And it was him that showed me that when you're really a leader, you are a leader in your life, in your marriage, in your community. And that just spills over into the job. But you don't get to be a leader from eight to five and then be a jerk after five. Like these these two don't coexist. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be who you are. And he held me to that. He held me accountable to that. Love that. So I'm putting myself in the listener's shoes going, okay, I can be purposeful about the content I'm consuming. I can become more purposeful around connecting with people. Where do we take it from there? Ah, Now, this is when you start to really assail into the leadership because you've got to have the ability to galvanize a large group of people in order to lead down uh, a path to a big goal. And that's why that third C becomes important because it's about how you communicate. And I always say it's communicating in story form. Mm. It, vision statements don't work, <laughs> nor do mission statements. Everybody still focus on writing the perfect vision statement and writing the perfect mission statement. Nobody remembers them. <laughs> like they don't, especially when you get into large organizations managing tens of thousands of people that you need all to take the hill. Well, they take the hill based on the story they remember and the emotion that it drew in them. Mm. People move. I think Maya Angelou said it best. 
They might not always remember what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. To lead at the next level and shatter that glass ceiling and you start realizing, this is what I start realizing. It ain't so much about what I say, but the feeling I invoke about what we're trying to accomplish, that then gets people going after it with everything they got. That gets you to that next level of leadership. I've, I've formed a friendship with Susan Scott, who wrote a book called Fierce Conversations. And she talks about taking responsibility for the emotional wake. How every conversation you have, you're walking into just a clear glass pond. And when you start having that conversation, you're literally throwing a rock right in the middle of it. And the question mm-hmm. is, what's the wake? What's that ripple effect? And are you actually, one, conscious of it? And two, being responsible for it? Yeah. Absolutely. I tell people all the time, you know, I think Covey used to talk about treating people like savings accounts. Hmm. Everything you say in every interaction is either a deposit or withdrawal. And people will follow you as long as you got money in the bank with them. Yeah, that's good. You're in a negative balance. Yeah. You're into that emotional capital. Well, this this brings us to the fourth C, which is which is coach. And one of the things that I've admired is what I've witnessed is the, the focus on how to make your leaders more coach-like. Yeah. What does that look like? That is definitely an evolution. And I think it's even tougher today than ever before because we have so many priorities and leaders wake up with a hundred priorities on their desk. I mean, just not on their desk when they wake up. I mean, you got your family, you got trying to Figure out what the key, get the kids off to where they're supposed to be. I would say school, but right now, <laughs> is anybody able to go to school? Uh, so now we're homeschooling, and then you're trying to get the car taken care of, and then all of the priorities at work. I mean, it, everyone's overwhelmed. And the thing I always say always ends up being an afterthought is the service to, to helping somebody else. It, you know, it's like you're supposed to call your mom, you know, you're supposed to call mom. But I always forget to call my mom. <laughs> like I know I'm supposed to, but I keep forgetting. Um, so how do you keep that as a priority? And as a leader, stopping to ask a team member, how are you doing? And wait for the answer. Too often people go, oh, well, how are you doing? And then they go right on past you. And I always say, you think you made a deposit. You actually made a withdrawal. You, you got to slow down. You got to pause. You got to see how people are really doing and listen, not for application, but for full understanding beyond the words. What does that look like for you? Because I mean, you, mm-hmm. you have an immense amount of responsibility in the organization. Yep. How do you take the time to slow down and coach your people? I, I intentionally get to know my people on the front end, especially the leaders that work for me. And I've now gotten to a point in a relationship with them where I could just look them in the eye and go, well, something ain't right to me. Like I had one uh, of my directors come in my office and soon as she walked in, I, you know, I, I was typical. I had, I was typing an email with my back to her, but soon as she walked in, I was like, something's not right. And that's why I go, people go, it's like, it's not psychic instincts or anything. We all have the instincts. You use all of your instincts. I knew something wasn't right because every day she says good morning. This day she didn't. And when I turned around, there, a storm had happened the night before. 
And I learned tornado hit the street right behind her. Oof. Didn't hit her house, but it was just that close. And on that day, it was weighing heavy. She was like, I almost lost my life. And I knew right. And also I was like, everything in every priority, every initiative, everything we were working on, out the door. We're going to talk. And I'm about to hear you. We Screw the agenda. <laughs> that's what coaching looks like. And that's why it's that final C. It's when your whole instincts, it's like when you notice something's not right with your wife and you go, we're not going to talk about the budget. <laughs> no, something's not right. I'm going to be here with you. Same thing with employees. Life is hitting them every day. When you notice something ain't right, you stop and you be there. You're hitting on something that uh, we believe firmly that's that's core to the one thing and, and something that uh, I think people kind of look at us a little inquisitively when, when we're coming into an organization, which is when we look at the 411 and we say there's the professional side and there's the personal side or the development side. A lot of leaders have never really thought about why it's so important to take a stand for the whole person, not just the employee. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. Because in the, And I was having this conversation with some of our senior leaders last week. When you take a stand for the whole employee, you get loyalty. Like the reason I'm still at FedEx 23 years later isn't because of the pay or, and the pay's good. I don't have a problem with the pay. Y'all help me. You sponsor me to go through inroads who made an exception. I never forgot that. I never forgot that. And so I will go through a brick wall because you stood up for me. Imagine as leaders if we do that for our, every employee that works for us. You talk about profit and results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Skyrocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to us about, we just see this. It's, it's so pervasive. And you, t- and you touched on it, which is we, people are so overwhelmed. There yeah. are so many priorities that are on their plate professionally, let alone all the stuff that's going on in their world personally. How do you go about changing that? Mm-hmm. I use the one thing, the journal. Love it because I'm one of those to-do list people. Um, so, cause I, you know, I like crossing off my to-do list. It's like this, uh, euphoric feeling when I cross something off. Um, but it forces me to stop and pause and go, but what's the one thing I'm going to do today? Like, what's that one focal point that makes and all other things on this list either easier or unnecessary? And just asking myself that question every day. Now I know how to every day make progress. Like, what am I going to consume today? What's the one thing I need to consume? You know, who's the one person that I need to stop because I noticed something and I need to call them? What's the one story I need to relate so everyone else can understand and evoke a feeling that drives the necessary change we need across the organization? What is that? Um, so. I love using the journal. It helps me stay focused. I love it. I love it. Well, 
imagine you're talking to thousands of people who are where you were. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily from an age standpoint, but they had a vision for their life and they didn't know that they weren't thinking big enough. What would you tell them? I would literally tell them, take the time to quiet your mind. And if that means waking up at 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning, while everybody else is asleep and the world is kind of paused, set the alarm clock and get up. Don't turn on the TV. Don't turn on anything. Sit quiet and dream. And like write down what what does a great life look like for you? Just just dream with a clear mind. And then start to ask yourself, what is the one thing I could do to start moving in that direction? Once you set the GPS, a GPS doesn't care where you are. It will always plot a path. Now, there are going to be some turns. You can make a wrong turn here, a wrong turn there. But once you've set the deep, the, the destination, a GPS will recalculate. And that's what's amazing. Most people struggle just because they hadn't decided where they want to dream and dream big. We see it happen all the time. They, they cast a big dream and then because they can't see the path to get there or, they, or, they, or if it doesn't feel doable, they yeah. give up the search. What I love about your story is your, your mentor says, where do you want to be? Oh, I'm going to be CEO. <laughs> <laughs> How? No freaking clue. But... Nah, no freaking clue. No right? And mm-hmm. one domino at a time you literally find yourself in the boardroom with the CEO. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's, you know, there's one thought I definitely want to make sure I leave all the listeners. When I was setting those goals and those destination points and when I would achieve it, there was one thing that hit me as an aha. Every time I would get to a point where I achieved that goal, the feeling only lasted a week. It may have taken me 10 years to get to director, which was one of my goals. But the enjoyment and the feeling lasted one week. And so, Jeff, you've seen in my office, I've got this desk weight that says the journey is the reward. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. That actually is the reward. And it's better to enjoy it when you're helping other people come along with you. Love it. Chris, where can people pick up a copy of C4 Leadership? Uh, it is actually in all, in all online uh, book outlets, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, please go out and pick it up. Uh, and if you enjoy it, leave a review on Amazon. I'd appreciate it. Yeah. So folks, it's, it's the letter C, the number four, and leadership. And definitely pick up a copy and support Chris. Uh, he's got a wealth of information. And if you think about who are you, what is the content that you are going to consciously consume and who are you connecting with? There's a reason he's on the show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, Jeff. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Chris Winton, author of the brand new book, C4 Leadership, which you can pick up on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble online. One of the things I've really admired and respected about Chris is he strikes that balance of reaching up and reaching down at both times. 
you know, being being humble enough to to recognize that we're on our own path of mastery, and we have still yet to arrive where where we want to go, and also to recognize that the journey is the reward, and it's a lot more valuable when you're reaching back and helping others along the way because they help you move forward. Based on everything we talked about today, what's one thing you can put into action? Will you actually take a moment when this episode is over to pause, mm. to sit in silence, to dream? to ask the question and search for the answer before you go on to the next podcast episode or before you go into that meeting. Because that simple action may be the difference between whether you just spent your time or whether you invested it. As always, we really appreciate you going on this journey with us. If you are new to the podcast, please click the subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And while you're at it, please consider leaving us a rating and review. This is the lifeblood of the show. It helps us reach more people and make the impact that we desire to make. And again, please consider supporting Chris by picking up a copy of C4 Leadership anywhere you can find books online. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.